God, thank you for all that you do in our lives. Lord, whether we are going through difficulty or whether things are really good, God, we recognize that you are sovereign. We recognize that you are the one who's in control. Even when it seems like this world is falling apart at the seams, God, you are still in control. And God, we recognize that you have placed your church here to be ambassadors. And so, Lord, use us for that. Bless us this morning as we look at your word. God, I pray that no matter what thing brought us here together, God, that we just hold on to your truth, that your word will not return void. Lord, that as your word is spoken, it will take root in our hearts, and it will do exactly what it accomplished to do, both individually and collectively as a body. And so thank you, God, for this opportunity to hear from you. Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me. Lord, that it would be your words and that this would be exactly what we need to hear today. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 4, guys. We're going to close out in coming weeks this letter. And (laughs) as I was talking to uh, BJ and Kami this last week as we were sitting in the office, I said, you know, a lot of times I I will tell people like, hey, next week we're going to finish Colossians. Or next week we're going to finish this chapter. We're going to finish this thing. And I just, I know guys that are pastors that will plan out meticulously their sermons to the point where they can tell you we're going to end here on this date with this passage. I can't do that. I don't have that gift. Um, I just kind of, you know, teach what the Lord gives me as we go verse by verse. But I have started to sound like Mr. Incredible when it comes to the way that I, that I teach, we get there when we get there. Like, I just, I don't know. Like I, I, that's, that's where I'm at in life. So uh, maybe someday I'll be able to better gauge this. But, um, as we pick up in Colossians chapter four, we've been just going verse by verse through this amazing letter. And we got through verse one last week, which really dealt with the, um, the slave master relationship and, and kind of talked about that really from the end of chapter three on through uh, chapter four, verse one. And so we've been talking in really practical terms about the new self, this new life that God's called us to empowered by his spirit, the things that we're done with and the things that are, have come and are new in our lives now. And so this morning I want to present an opportunity for us to receive from the Lord and receive what he has for us. And this is what came to mind as I was prepping this message to share the Lord himself wants to come into our hearts and dwell. We understand this as believers. I know this is not new information. This isn't something we're like, he does. You know, like we, we get this, you know, most of us, I, I imagine, have, you know, been in church before and, and heard about, you know, just the way that this works, our salvation and how the spirit comes in and dwells within us. But I want us to think about this. There's a question that we need to ask ourselves, and I think it was worded really well by Augustine. If you've ever read Confessions, this might sound familiar. He says, And how shall I call upon my God, my God and Lord, since when I call for him, I shall be calling him to myself? And what room is there within me, whether my God can come into me? What room is there within me that God can come in and take up residence? I think a lot of times, and I don't know if you guys remember that song, but I sang it all throughout my, my youth, you know, empty me, you know, holy fire, burn away my desire for anything, you know, that anything that's not of you but is of me, empty me. And it's funny because I, I read a critique of that as a worship leader. I read a critique of it once and someone's like, I just think that that's so theologically wrong. I said, I think you theologically misunderstand. It's not asking to be emptied of your intellect. 
It's asking that God would empty you of yourself, of your flesh, and that you could be filled with the Spirit. And that's exactly what the, the writer was talking about. And so as we think about this, what room is there within us that God can come in and take up residence and teach us new things and work our heart into a new direction? Um, it's interesting because when I say teach us new things, I'm not talking about new doctrine. I'm talking about God directing our lives in a fresh direction. Same truth, new direction. You know, how many of us have life figured out? How many of us have the situations we're in nailed down, right? Everyone's kind of like, mm, yeah. No, you know, none of us have this life thing nailed down. And by the way, someday we will, but that's when he completes the good work he began in us, Philippians 1.6 says, right? Someday he will complete what he began on the day of Christ Jesus. But here in this life, we're going to continue to grow and mature. And so as believers, whether we're young or whether we've been walking with the Lord for decade after decade, I want to encourage you to remember to come with him and to open that place in your heart. Lord, may you find place to reside within me. Find room within my heart. And as we prepare to read this, I just want to pray again. I didn't really plan plan to pray again here, but can I pray again that we would have room? That we would have room in this moment. Lord, for your church, for us together, find room within our hearts. Push aside things, God, or remove things. We know you've given us things to care about in this world. You've given us things that are important that we are to be stewards of. But Lord, sometimes those things take precedent over you. May you find room in our heart not only to dwell, but to thrive. Find the throne of our heart empty and saved only for you. Lord, find within us a place, fresh room and space. We ask it in your name. Amen. Okay, if you have it in front of you, follow along with me. Let's read Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, and and we'll break this down. But Let's read the, the whole of our text to begin with. Paul continues on. He's getting into the closing parts of this letter. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Paul goes in these chap- in these verses, in chapter 4, and he gives us four essentials, four Christian essentials. Now, some of these things are reminders from before in the letter, because as you know, as you read through Paul's letters, especially if you read through Romans or if you're reading through First and Second Corinthians, Paul will say something, repeat, remind, repeat, remind, and it's because he's working this knowledge into us. You know, And so as we think about this, he begins with something that is an absolute essential for the Christian life. Devotion to prayer. Devotion to prayer. Having a devoted prayer life. And I can't imagine anyone in a Bible-believing church who would openly contend that prayer doesn't matter. You're like, prayer? Who needs it? If you read your Bible, you know that prayer is essential. And if you have an active prayer life, you live by it. You live by that prayer life because you recognize the source of strength that communication with God, dialogue between you and the Lord has. The place it has in your life is so essential. So I don't think that you would really come across anyone in a church that believes what's being taught from the word to contend that prayer doesn't matter. I've never had anyone try. I don't know if you guys have. I've never had anyone try. But what's interesting about this is that when Paul talks about prayer, he talks about being devoted to it. I don't know what you're devoted to, 
But I have to really look at my own life and go, am I devoted to prayer? I'm devoted to my family. You know, some people are devoted to their car. Some people are devoted to a hobby. You know, my wife would probably contend that I'm devoted to a guitar. But if you think about this, am I devoted to prayer? Am I a person that's devoted to prayer to God? Are we constantly, diligently praying and seeking the Lord's face in prayer? Is it something that you give time to regularly? You know, there's many patterns and habits that we have in life. Maybe even a show that we love to watch or a, a, you know, a, a nightly routine that we go through that we give time to that's not necessarily necessity, but just something we enjoy. But are we devoted and do we give time constantly and diligently to being quiet before the Lord and praying? Even for the best of us, there come times when prayer seems to be unproductive and pointless, and we won't even risk to penetrate any farther than the walls of the room that we're in. Do you ever feel stagnant in prayer? Do you ever feel like it's just, I don't really see the point, nothing really happens? At such a time, the remedy is not to stop but to go on praying. Notice this. It's well said. And I didn't write it, so I can say it's well said. In those who pray, spiritual dryness cannot last. In those who pray, spiritual dryness cannot last. So many teens will come up to me and be like, dude, I just feel like I'm not hearing anything from the Lord. I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm struggling. I'll be like, pray and pray and pray. Be like, when I pray, nothing happens. Pray harder. Pray more. Pray more frequently. Because maybe you're in a desert. Life will have deserts. But deserts don't last forever. Dryness will not last for the, the, the person, the human being, who consistently and continually prays. The Greek literally means in this passage to be wakeful, to stay awake. We have examples of sleepiness overcoming the apostles, don't we? Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Luke chapter 9. How about the Garden of Gethsemane? That's the first one that comes to mind for me. Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was like, could you not pray for one hour, Peter? Wake up. Wake up and, and pray. And a lot of times I think that we are physically fatigued or we are mentally fatigued or we are emotionally drained. And so we use as an excuse to not go to prayer. You realize that prayer will supply your strength in those seasons if you devote yourself to it. We need to be wakeful. And it's thankfulness. Notice that he says that we should be thankful in this passage as well. That's really important to see all the descriptives. Devote yourselves to prayer, verse 2. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. How often do we go to God in prayer just to talk to him about the things we don't like in life? How devoted are we to prayer in tough seasons and not in seasons where everything's good? You know, if everything's working in your house, right? This is a rare occurrence for me. If everything is working in your house and let's say like, you know, your, your furnace is working, your washer and dryer aren't going crazy. Ours made a sound like a screaming pterodactyl for like a couple months and, and like we just kept powering through and to the point where my kids are recording videos on the other side of the house and you could hear it like it was screeching. Um, and, and so there's seasons where like when something's wrong, you naturally pay attention to it, right? But when something isn't going wrong, how often am I checking on those appliances? Oh, is everything working okay? You know, is this, no, it's working great. So what am I doing? Not paying attention to it. Is our prayer life like that? Are things not so bad in our lives? Well, things are actually going pretty good considering COVID and there's riots in our streets. You know, like things are going okay right now. You're like, okay, great for you. So are you not praying? Because we're supposed to be devoted to prayer in Thanksgiving, 
Even when things are good, we should be focusing on prayer. Paul encouraged the church in Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. That is an easy verse to memorize. Memorize it because think about this. How often do we lose hope? How often are we not patient? How often are we not persisting in prayer? These are three things I look at my life and go, I'm terrible at them. I'm terrible at being consistent in these things. Rejoicing in hope? I'm a pessimist by trade. You know, that comes very naturally to me to kind of break things apart and be like, this could go wrong in like 14 different ways. And God's like, would you just rejoice in what I've given you? I don't know if you guys struggle like that. I do. Be patient in affliction. I want a microwave happiness. I want it now. Give me 30 seconds. One minute? No, I don't want to like put my, you know, happy to, you understand what I'm saying. You guys both laughed at that. I'm not like saying I want to put my happiness in the microwave. (laughs) Here you go, Fifi. (laughs) No, that's not it. Guys, we want to be patient in affliction, in difficulty. We want to have long suffering. I, I can't, I can't think of a more powerful example of Christ likeness than when we are patient in affliction. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Jesus was being beaten. He was being falsely accused. He was having a crown of thorns crushed into his skull. He was having his beard ripped out by the roots. Did Jesus call down angels and just clean house that day? He was patient in affliction. Why? Because he recognized that he was there on a mission. Be patient with what you're going through. Be persistent in prayer. Keep going. Paul's been spying on my life, apparently. Isn't it great when Scripture just opens you right up and and it reads you like a book? You know, you read these verses and it's like, man, the Lord knows. He knows what I'm struggling with. But remember, those who pray... For those who pray, dryness will not last. Christian essential number one, devotion to prayer. Number two, let's look at verses three and four together. At the same time, while you're praying, Paul says, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains so that I may make it known as I should. At the same time, he says, while you're praying, pray that God would open a door for us for the word. Now, we know the mystery of Christ that he's talking about because Paul has been all about bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And we know that that's the mystery. And here, in this situation, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. It's his first imprisonment in Rome. This is one of the prison epistles. And so he's writing in a... We're going to talk about in a second the difficulty of his situation that he's writing from. But he's saying this, I want to make this mystery known. So pray while you are praying that God would open a door. Why would Paul ask the church in Colossae, and this letter would be read in Hierapolis and Laodicea most likely as well. Remember, Tri-City area. Think about this. Why would Paul ask the church to pray for the door to open if that was ineffective? Why would he ask him to do it? Because Paul recognizes that prayer does not change the will of God. Prayer often will move the hand of God. Not according to our will. He moves according to what he desires. How many times is God not moving in our lives because we're not praying? God wants to do something in our lives. Or God wants to take us in a direction, but we're not praying, and so God's not moving. It's not because we control him. It's his will. It's his desire. But God allows us to either stagnate or to get moving when it comes to our walk. And this scares me because a lot of times I want God to just come up and kick me in the direction he wants me to go. 
But you know what's crazy? Think about this. How many, and I don't know about you, but I, I hear this because I listen to a lot of what's being taught in our country from churches right now. How many of you are like, God's kicking down the doors. He's knocking down the walls. He's breaking all the foundations. I'm like, he is? First of all, I want to know what he's kicking the doors down to because Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Are we talking about hearts? Are we talking about strongholds? What are we talking about? Clarify. I'm just, that's quick rabbit tail. Just clarify when someone's like jesus is showing up and kicking down the doors is he i don't know and here's something that i'll I'll tell you is a good track to follow paul the apostle said pray that god will open the door pray that god will open the door you guys as he's in jail paul says pray that god will open the door so that the word can be spoken the mystery can be revealed I don't want to I don't want to beat down enthusiasm. I love enthusiasm. Big fan of enthusiasm. You can tell. I'm a big fan of enthusiasm. But I want us to be careful about our enthusiasm because if Paul asked for the church to pray that God would open doors, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that God opens doors and that God shuts them when he doesn't want them open. You know, Paul, remember that point in his life where he was trying to figure out where he was supposed to go? And he's like, I tried to go this direction. God closed the door. I tried to go that direction. God closed the door. I tried to go three times. God closes doors and he's facing the sea. He's like, all right, you know, time to go that way. You know, like we need to pray not only that God opens doors for opportunity, that God shuts doors for us to be going in the right direction. Not shutting doors to reach people, but shutting doors for direction. And we need to pray the Lord would open doors to minister to people in our area, as Paul states himself here in Rome, so that I may make it shown as I should. That I may make it shown as I should, as I was called to do. Guys, we need to pray that the Lord would open doors for us to minister in our homes, at our workplaces, at Panda Express. I mean, you name it. I, it there's, there's opportunity everywhere. But the problem is, I think, a lot of times we are not prayed up to recognize it. We haven't devoted ourselves to prayer. And we show up with a tool in our tool belt, but not the one to get the door open. Right? Well, i gotta, I got to be able to work this thing. I, I prayed, and now the Lord has opened the door. Now I can put this tool into place. Does that make sense? Because we think about these essentials that we carry. I don't know about you, but nothing frustrated me more when I worked in construction, and I'd have a tool to get the job done after the tool that I needed to get the job started. You know, well, I have this thing. I need to do this, but I, uh, I don't have the thing I need to get going, right, to get started. I mean, I could show up with my saw on my table, but if the power wasn't working, prayer prayer one more thing what's paul's current situation where is it someone said he's in prison what's paul praying for you know where i'm going he's praying for a door to open for the word did he pray for his shackles to fall interesting isn't it physical freedom is not required to share christ In fact, a lot of times we're so focused on that physical freedom, we're missing opportunities to work from chains. If we want to see the church be effective, we're going to realize a way, we're going to find a way as God leads to get the ministry, the work of the ministry done, regardless of our physical situation. You know what's awesome is we saw this during COVID and the lockdown for three months. Did I enjoy it? No. I'm a social being. I love being around people. But God reached 
thousands through this ministry. I, 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 can't, I can't describe how that happened. It just happened. People in other countries, people in other states, all over the place. I have friends in Brazil now. I have friends in Africa. I have friends in you know the Hawaiian Islands. I have all these people I've been talking to, all because we were able to focus on online ministry for a season. Do I want it to stay there? No, we need to be focused on our community. That's our calling here. But for a season, God gave us a focus to reach as many people as we could, as many people as we possibly could. And are we grabbing onto those seasons? Are we saying to ourselves, I'm not able to do what I normally do. My physical freedom has been inhibited. I'm going to whine, mope, and complain about it. Or are we going to accept that and work within it? Because Paul wasn't whining about his chains. Paul was asking God to open doors from bondage, from a place of imprisonment. Prayer should always be for power and seldom for release. For conquest, not released, must be the keynote of the Christian life. Conquest, not release. It's important. Okay, Christian essential number one, devotion to prayer. Number two, as Paul clearly stated here, reliance on God, may God open the door. Number three, we find in verse five. He says this, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Act wisely toward outsiders. We are not called as Christians to take a 50-pound Bible and start smacking people with it. It's not effective. Now, maybe getting your kids' attention, that's a right way to do it, but... I want you to think about the word that comes to mind when we see act wisely towards people. I think of tact, having tact, sensitively dealing with others who are going through difficult issues or in a difficult place. We need to be sensitive to reaching these people and how to reach them. Making the most, it's interesting. When he says this and he says, make the most of the time, that comes from the Greek verb that says to buy up. So picture that. You're buying up as much time as possible. You're gathering as much resource, which is time, as possible, making the most of the opportunity. It has the idea of finding a bargain or actively looking for that opportunity. There needs to be an activation of our desire to draw people to the Lord through our actions. Is what I'm physically doing right now drawing people's attention to the Lord? How I'm going about my life, the way that I'm living, is that drawing people's attention to the Lord or is it drawing their attention to something else? Is it getting some kind of attention for myself? Because I often see that the person who steals the most glory from God in my experience is me. Because I position myself in so many ways that people will look at me instead of the Lord. And that has to be a constant awareness for us. Am I drawing people's eyes to me or to Christ? And notice, this applies from Paul in chains to people who are free. However you are living, act wisely towards outsiders. Now this is people outside the walls of this building. Outside the walls, hopefully, of our home as our, as our families have been raised in Christ, people who look at us who should sit up and take notice. Something that I've called our attention to recently, it's really been on my heart heavily. You realize that I expect people in this church at Transform to get along based on hobby. I don't have to work for that. You know, if we share a hobby, Mike and I share a hobby, we're just naturally going to talk about it. You know, that's just, that happens. Do you know what's unique and makes the world sit up and take notice? When a 50-something and a 20-something start hanging out and spending time together who only have commonality in Christ, that is something unique to the church and the church alone. That's why in our home group, recently we were trying to bridge that gap. We've had a young adult 
Bible study that's met in our house for five years. And now we're starting to invite more people in because we want more age diversity. Why? Because there's nothing unique about a bunch of young adults who are from the same generation hanging out. That's normal. What's abnormal is when people from different generations come together just because they love Jesus. Oh, do you guys like to go shooting? No, I don't shoot at all. I shoot all the time, like literally every day. You know, and there's like, but why do you guys hang out? You really have nothing in common. We love Jesus, and that's all that matters. That's all that we need to tie us together. The world needs to see that. We do that not only for our own sake as the church to function, to be strong, but we do it so that the world sees it and says, that's weird, right? It makes sense if they see musicians hanging out. It doesn't make sense if they see people from different generations crossing over and spending time together. It causes them to sit up and take notice. It's a community that compels people. There needs to be an activation of our desire to draw people to the Lord through our actions and not just an awareness that there could be an opportunity. I think we're aware that there are opportunities all the time. I think we generally agree with that. Are there opportunities to share your faith in Christ all the time? Sure, all the time. Are we aware of every single one? Are we tuned in? Are we keyed in? You ever like, I don't know who listens to the radio anymore, but you remember when your dial was just off a little bit? And you you know, you know, it's like coming in and out. And you're like, just a tiny turn to the left and we'll get that station in, right? It's like, I don't want to be that guy that's catching every opportunity every couple seconds. And the rest is just, you know, I want it to be tuned in. I want it to be tight. I want to see every single opportunity that God's giving me. All the kids are like, what is this FM radio he speaks of? I don't understand it. It's like Spotify, except you don't get what you want all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was for you, BJ. Here, here, here's the thing. You're just hoping. Remember those days when you, to, you hoped for something to come there? Play my song, play my song, play my song. You call in. I'd like to request this. I'm like, Mike, you cannot call in anymore. We are not going to play it for at least another half hour. And then we'll play it again the half hour after that and after that and after that. Because it's the same thing over and over and over again. You guys, the picture that I thought of is this. When it comes to us being an example, being wise in the way that we act, are we looking for opportunities? Are we sitting in the watchtower and calling ourselves a watchman? A lot of times we think about ourselves sitting, you know, like, oh, I'm just, I, I'm, you know, like sitting in a watchtower. Does that make you a watchman? No. What makes you a watchman is if you're actually, actively, watching, right? We get this. We're like, yes, correct. But are we actively doing that in our lives, looking for those opportunities? Verse six expounds more in this direction. So we're talking about the four essentials, right? And we keep calling them out devotion to prayer, reliance on God. And this one, the third one, wisdom in the world, having wisdom in the world. Now you're going to love the title of my fourth one. And I came up with these on my own. Okay. This is the Lord. I, I, you know, if, if you're like, that's lame, that's me. If it's good, it's God. Okay. That's the general scale. Tasty speech is number four. Tasty speech. Here's what I'm talking about. Look at verse six. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. There is too much of Christianity that will dully depress people and too little of Christianity that sparkles with life. I would say this too. There's another side to that scale. 
The other side of that scale is there's too much Christianity giving people cotton candy and not actual food that they need. Because we understand this, right? Balance in life. How many churches are feeling grace, grace, God's love and mercy and, and all these things? You're like, are all those things true? Yes. Is there balance if that's all we talk about? No, we're probably not reading the whole Bible because there's a lot of justice. And there's a lot of righteousness and there is a lot of holiness. And I would love to see some of these more seeker sensitive churches start preaching sermons about be holy as I am holy. Because that's not just an Old Testament command. Peter repeats it in first Peter and he says, here's your command. Be holy as I am holy to seek after being holy people that represent God well. There's balance here. Is there grace when we fail? Yes. Does God love us? Yes. Is he judging our actions? In Christ, he's forgiven us of all these things. He's forgiven us. But should we sin more that grace should abound more, as Paul says in Romans 6? No. There's balance in life. And I think it's interesting that when we look at our speech and and, and the way that we talk, that we want to be people who sparkle. We want to be people who show those, not like a Cullen, stop smirking. We want to be people, all the teens are like, like Twilight? Absolutely not. (laughs) Nope, nothing like that. Never heard of it. Don't want to talk about it again. You guys, if you think about this, Christianity should be something that we talked about this last week. It's like a diamond that's cut in such a way that every turn of it shows a different facet of our life. And the brilliant cut we talked about last week is that flash. Every time you turn it, it flashes. Every facet of our life should flash the brilliance and the beauty of Christ to people. When they look at our family, when they look at our work, when they look at our relationships, they look at our friendships, they look at our churches, they should see a little flash of light, Christ coming out of it. And so when you read this passage, a lot of times I've heard a companion passage read here, and I'm going to show it to you. Let your speech always, the one here in in verse 6, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you can... No, so that you may know how you should answer each person. I always think of First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Here's why. Look at it. It'll be on the screen. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I think we forget that our, aff- our, our defense of our faith should be attractive to the hearer. We think about defense and like knocking you back, not, not my house, not today, son. You know, we think of it that way. That's not what it's talking about at all. Defending your faith should provide a tasty aftertaste, if you will. That's not in the notes. And uh, like an aftertaste of them be like, hmm, I'd like to try that again. Right? Think about it. When you have a horrible taste in your mouth, when you experience something horrible, do you often look back and go, I'm ready for another? You know, like, great. Uh, we did this, this, uh, we did a kids adventure day. It was like a one day VBS. And, um, the children's ministry director at that time, who has since, um, passed on from cancer and was a dear, dear, um, friend of mine, Bridget. She, at one point of the skit we were doing for kids adventure day, had made green eggs and ham. And she made it particularly disgusting because she put all these weird things in it. And like garlic and onions and all this stuff. She goes, the idea is, is that when you taste it in the skit, I was supposed to recoil. She wanted it to be authentic. She goes, my goal is to make you gag in front of everybody. It's like, terrific. So she gives this to me and it, and it happened. She did it really well. I completely, 
you know, like it was horrible as soon as it hit my mouth. And, and one of the kids was like, Hey, Pastor Mike, you want to try it again? I was like, Are you insane? Go get saved. Like, why are you here? Like, I get saved, take your Bible and go. No, like, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But like, you understand, it's like, why would I ever put that back in my mouth again? How many of us, when we witness to people, are like, you are wrong for this reason, this reason, this reason. I listen to Frank Turk, J. Warner Wallace, and Greg Kokel. I could slap you upside the head and back the other direction, and you would know that you are wrong. <laughs> okay, I'll never talk to you again. Like, are we leaving people with this longing for something more when we talk to them? The, all those guys I just named, they just came out of the top of my head, but like all those guys I named, great apologetic teachers. I read their stuff. I listen to their stuff. I use it to equip. But if I'm not delivering it with a little seasoning, I'm doing it wrong. Now it's up to someone to take that and to apply it and listen and to to respond to the Lord. But am I giving it to people in a way that they can receive? That's tasty. That's good. We've all tasted bad food. We've all tasted really good food. Are we serving up Wolf Lodge steaks? Like, are we giving them the good stuff? You know, and, and like, this is what the Lord says. Come, taste. What does it say? Taste and see that the Lord is disgusting and you'll never want it again. What? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Why? Because you're going to want more. You're going to go back for seconds and thirds. Uncompromising truth must be delivered with tact and graciousness, seasoned with salt. James talking about the damage that the tongue can do. And we're wrapping this up. Don't you worry. In James chapter three, we all know this, this, you know, the taming of the tongue, right? Not the taming of the shrew, the taming of the tongue, the whole, the whole idea of like the tongue is this, this part of us that can light fires. And we've all experienced this. The things that we say can light fires in our lives. It can destroy James, as he's wrapping up this chapter in James chapter three, after he talks about the danger of the tongue, he says this in verses 13 through 18. And I want to share this with us in context with Colossians four, six, who among you is wise and understanding. All of us should be like, maybe I want to be this right by his good conduct. He should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. What comes from wisdom? gentleness, not aggression, gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Man, James, ouch. For where there is envy, verse 16 says, and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. All this coming from a chapter where he says, you can start fires with the things you say, or you can represent Christ with this gentleness, this purity, this peace-loving, merciful, good fruit-bearing approach. This is the gentleness that comes from wisdom. And I want to remind you of what we just read. 
Your speech should always be gracious. Paul says to the church in Colossae, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. God, give me wisdom to not just walk up with the same thing and just throw it at them. Is it the same truth? Is it nutrition? Is it the truth of God's word? Is it, is it pure doctrine? Yes. But the way we serve it to people needs to be prepared differently. You see, there are some kids in my past as a youth minister and, and lots of adults as well in the associate role in the past that I would counsel people and be like, this person is so fragile. If I just shellack them with truth right now, they're just going to break apart and it's going to destroy them. So I deliver it to them gently in this way. And even so, when someone's like in a place where they need a wake-up call, that should still be delivered gently, but I delivered it in a whole different way. Here's the thing. I'd like to say that that's how I've always done it, I failed miserably at this for years. And the Lord was so gracious to me and so gentle with me and so long-suffering in teaching me how to do that better. Are we learning from the Lord? Is the fourth Christian essential that we see in this passage, that tastiness of speech, something that people around us would be like, they have it. It might be worth talking to people around ourselves about. Husbands and wives, you may not like this. Ask your spouse, is my speech attractive. When I speak to people, is it seasoned with salt? Be ready for hard answers. Be ready for a difficult answer. But I tell you what, I can trust no one more than my wife when it comes to how I'm presenting things. When it comes to how I'm talking about things, that was a little aggressive. You're like, okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's taken me almost 20 years to figure that out. You know, to figure these things out, and I'm not done yet. I hope that when we get 10 years down the road from this place, we can see growth through the last decade as well. It's like, I'm getting there. I'm almost there. Now, 10 years from now, I look back and go, I have learned much, and I have much more to learn. We all do, you guys. That's why we're walking through this life. It's maturity. How desperately does this world need believers to show them what a civil discussion looks like? what a conversation looks like. Um, one of my favorite teachers and lecturers over the years, um, Gary Brashear said this. He said, I'll talk about anything with a cup of coffee and my Bible on the table. I'll talk about anything. And he would. He would absolutely talk to you about any subject. And, and he would talk about it scripturally. And he's like, as long as we got the coffee, the coffee's hot and the Bible's on the table, we're good. You know, like, and it was great because a lot of times it was conversations that were really difficult. Um, but are we willing to do that for others? Are we preparing and equipping ourselves, being ready to give a defense for what we believe, but to deliver it in a way that's going to win people to Christ? And, and just as an encouragement, you guys, and I'm sure many of you have experienced this, it's very uncommon that you win someone to the Lord in one conversation have many, many conversations, pursue people, talk to them, draw them in, have those. Discipleship is a, is a, a road. It's not an experience, right? How many, I hope that this isn't happening, but not many churches that I've heard are like, come in for our one day discipleship experience. And when you're done, you will have been discipled, right? What did Jesus do with his disciples? Three to three and a half years of daily exposure to the teaching and the instruction and the lifestyle of Christ. 
And this is the thing. We are in this world to disciple people. He didn't say go out and make people believe what you believe. In fact, the call and the great commission is go unto all the earth and make disciples. Teach them. Teach them. That's going to require more than just words. It's going to take your lifestyle. The way that you live will speak volumes to this. And so let me encourage you guys. Pray with devotion. Rely on the Lord to open doors. Live a life that reflects God. And may our speech be something that is winsome and attractive, always seasoned with salt. Amen? That's what we're here to do as believers. Let's take some time and worship together. Would you pray with me? God, as we, Lord, just desire to respond to you, and as we want to be ministered to by you, Lord, we just ask that you would soften our hearts uh, to these things, that we would be growing in our relationship with you, Lord, that we would be taking these steps of maturity that we need to take. And so, God, I pray that as we prepare to worship now, that you would just speak to us. As we take a moment with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, Jesus, that you would reveal to us the areas in our lives, Lord, that we are holding back or not fully focused, and that you would, in your gentle, loving, and gracious way, reveal these things so that we can lay aside the weight, so that we can be free of the sin that's clinging to us and run with endurance. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Let's just take a moment, churches. We have our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Let's just ask the Lord to, to reveal to us. Before we sing any songs, before we say any words, just take a moment and, let, and ask the Lord to reveal to us what the things that we need to work on individually.